0: Hi there. This is Eliza Williams, editor of Creative Review magazine. I'm here to introduce you to the new episode in our CR podcast series, where we're asking creatives to look back at the best and worst moments of their creative careers. For this one, I'm talking to James Sadry, who's one member of the collective Led by Donkeys, which has become famous for its satirical posters, which poke fun at politicians while pointing out just how often they change their minds on big subjects such as Brexit. I met with James at d in London before a talk we held there to promote the new issue of CR, which is all themed around fear. Welcome to the show James. Thanks for having me. So we've discussed the format a bit, but the idea is to talk a little bit about the things that have gone well in your career and the things maybe that have been a struggle. Um, But maybe before we get into all that, I'm kind of interested, Obviously, you're known for Led by Donkeys, which is a collective, but can you talk a little bit about your sort of backstory? How did you get to this point?
1: Yeah, so, um, yeah, interesting. Uh, people talk a lot about um, Greenpeace being involved in the Led by Donkeys thing, and that's really because the four of us have been involved in Greenpeace in different ways over the past few years. Um, but for me... Yeah, my background is in campaigns, mostly cause-based stuff, human rights work, um, and also environmental stuff with Greenpeace too. Okay. So, uh, one of our other Led by Donkeys members, Ben, I first got to know uh, bobbing up and down in the North Sea. We okay. were on a We were <laughs> on a Greenpeace, Greenpeace action trying to stop a giant uh, oil drilling rig ship type thing from getting to where it needed to get to, uh, to drill, you know, some dangerous deep sea oil, okay. and Ben and I were, were, yeah, bobbing in front of it trying to stop it, um, and then we ended up spending a couple of days doing that and just chatting and, and basically got <laughs> to know each other, and from there, we did a whole bunch of different, relatively high profile greenpeace campaigns, which um, uh, were a lot of fun, yeah. definitely career highlights in terms of creativity, sort of
0: time are we talking so
1: this is uh, 2012 maybe okay um i think yes something like that what was
0: greenpeace like at that point
1: so interestingly like my background before that was in um in doing middle east stuff actually uh more media, TV. I worked in documentary film. Okay. Uh, did some stuff for the BBC out in Syria. so oh, I have presenting or directing? No, actually uh, producing. Okay. So, actually, my my background, my mum's from Iran. I was born in Iran. Okay. So, I spent a lot of time in the Middle East, and I do a lot of Middle East-related stuff. Learn Arabic, and I, I was out in Syria and ended up working on this documentary series for, for the BBC out there, um, and then I came back to the UK and... Uh, Wanted to really do some more political campaigning work. My background wasn't environmental, but Greenpeace had an opening mm-hmm. uh, for for a digital role, and uh, and I thought I really love the work these folks do at Greenpeace. Um, and yeah, before I knew it, I was I was working for them, and I think within a week, I was in a. In underneath the church somewhere in a secret room discussing an operation to go up to, you know, the Arctic Circle and stop some dangerous drilling with a, with a ship and a helicopter and a quarter of a million quid or something. And okay. it, it, that was my first uh, experience at real kind of rapid, uh, risk-taking, uh, creative campaigning.
0: Yeah. It's the risk-taking sort of part of it. I mean, we're talking about the best and worst things. Are they, are those sort of high, It must be quite high doing that kind of thing
1: quite yeah. high in, in well in
0: the there's, there must be a dressing. and you really get high yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah.
1: definitely do I mean what I I think I have so much respect for Greenpeace in terms of how it manages to maintain an environment of quite uh, creative risk taking in small teams without getting too institutionalised and too mm. bureaucratic I mean that said it's a massive goliath of an organisation and it has lots of troubles in, in that side too um, but they do a pretty good job of, of keeping it scrappy which you know in terms of creative interventions I think you have to do organizationally if you want to be breaking through really yeah um, but since then I went back to the Middle East I, I, I ran a, a campaigning organization uh, to do with Syria I actually did a lot of work and um, talking about career highlights um, that was probably a a big one, well, definitely a big one for me. Worked with uh, uh, frontline uh, humanitarian workers called the White Helmets, who do rescue work, digging people out of out of the rubble. And we 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 worked to take them from basically obscurity to um, relative prominence. You know, introduced them to a Netflix documentary team. They ended up winning this Oscar for for the film about their work and helped okay. raise them over ten million quid online. All sorts of different things that were really, really quite. Um, yeah, rewarding. Yeah, and was that the t- attention
0: at the start to to bring to attention what they were doing?
1: Yeah, so so, so the Syria work that I did was really going out to, going out to Lebanon, you know, neighbouring Syria, and saying how do we get the world to to frankly give more of a shit about what's happening in in Syria and um, and really that was about looking at who's on the ground, who's doing amazing work, and why aren't people? seeing them Mm. and so you know scrolling through youtube and seeing, wow this is amazing rescue workers called the Syria civil defense and nobody knows that they're there operating across conflict lines digging people out the rubble um so we saw a story there full of heroism and we were like okay let's let's go meet them in Turkey where they were training took a film team um and really cut together a few short films um launched a website around their work uh the white helmets really and uh, started kind of uh, supporting their work and, and rocketing them to prominence. So that, in terms of a career highlight, that in terms of me feeling my purpose in the world is, is somewhat yeah. satisfied. I, you know, the Syria work to, is very, very dear to me.
0: Yes, and presumably that that needs to make it personalised is a big part of that, right? Was that part of the intention? Presumably, with because with conflicts like that, people can become. I don't know. But, mm. I mean, bored is the wrong word because it seems awful to say bored, but they they don't understand, and there's not the personal story. So that presumably stories like the white helmets make it come alive in a relatable way. Is that- yeah,
1: I think relatable is a key part of it. I think interestingly, you know, talking about your latest edition about fear mm. and the flip side of that being hope. Um, a lot of cause-based campaigning and political campaigning is about, yeah, fear, but it's also about guilt. It's about, uh, it's very draining and yeah. people feel exhausted and particularly in this social media world where you can switch off really easily yeah. um, or the algorithm switch, switches off for you anyway. It's not like everybody's watching the news at 10 and, you know, it just gets pumped into your brain. Um if this stuff doesn't make you feel positive in some sort of way, it can get filtered out of your filter bubble. So, like those positive and inspiring stories of hope are really, really important. And yeah. so that's that's why we chose that, um, and because we were inspired by it. And yeah, it, it proved really, really successful in helping people understand what was going on.
0: Yeah. Does that also directly um, uh, lead to people donating those stories? Because it's interesting this fear hope thing. Because mm. often it feels like the the guilt stuff that you say uh, can be effective initially, but maybe people run out of energy for it. Do you find the sort of hopeful stories feel like people want to actually put their hands in their pockets?
1: Yeah, it's more sustainable, I think, hope as an emotion. Uh, if you're going to construct something positive, mm. um, definitely there's there's so much more potential there. It's, it's It's a harder sell than an instant fear message, I think. Yeah. But... Yeah, it's just the sustainability of it. You hit people with that fear message or the guilt a few times, and then they just switch off, and you can't get them back.
0: Yeah, and mm. also there must be a thing with social media where, well, maybe there isn't, but I'm guessing there might be that where people sort of do a bit of um, virtue signaling on social media, like by liking something or sharing something, and then don't follow up with the actual donation, yeah. which must be a challenge nowadays.
1: Absolutely, no. That's that. That is a big, big challenge.
0: Yeah. So that, did we
1: then get to Led by Donkeys from there? So then actually, um, so yeah, bouncing around. So yeah, so I did a, God, I I really zipped through the Greenpeace stuff. So the Greenpeace stuff was really where I formed a lot of these key Led by Donkeys relationships. Actually, Will, another one of the donkeys, um, (laughs) was on that same ship tour. I shared a berth with him uh, where I met Ben properly, so we connected that way. Um, But we did a lot of really great stuff at Greenpeace around... Brand stuff as well. So, we did a lot yeah. of them. Uh, we had a campaign against Volkswagen called VW Dark Side, which was uh, really, really satisfying, kind of creatively. But anyway, so the Greenpeace thing was that first chapter. And then, yes, did a chunk in the Middle East um, with the Syria campaign. And then I've been freelancing, helping organizations with their communications and campaign work, but obviously keeping in contact with. These really good friends of mine and we've all been pulling our hair out over the state of mm. UK politics global politics and the Brexit you know chit show etc and yeah that led to us sitting in a pub in in North London uh, in uh, back at the end of last year and thinking what can we really do about it um, not to really change the debate necessarily but on a very basic psychological level for our own you know sanity yeah. what could we do that was cathartic to make us feel a little bit better um and that's when uh, I think it was Ben who had the idea we we're passing around this phone of that David Cameron tweet from back in the day that says you know the UK faces this inescapable choice or whatever between strong and stable government with me or chaos with Ed Miliband you know yeah. that obviously hasn't stood the test of time um, and I think Ben said you know, we should make that a tweet. You can't delete. What if he deletes that? And we were looking over at this billboard across the way and thinking, that's kind of tweet-sized and tweet-shaped. Not tweet-sized, tweet-shaped. Um, what if we slapped it up there? A giant, a giant tweet. Right. Um, and basically... <laughs> as simple as that. As <laughs> simple as that. The WhatsApp conversation kind of went on from there. And, and uh, we found somewhere in Northern Ireland that printed billboards and sent them to your house. Um, we Googled <laughs> some stuff on YouTube about how you could put up a billboard. Um, surprisingly, there's not much information about that. You think you can find everything on the internet, but there's us pouring over these grainy videos okay. in, from the 80s. This of is presumably
0: going to be a guerrilla style. Project. Yeah, so it yeah. started
1: as, as an anonymous guerrilla project to make us feel better about ourselves. Yeah. Um, and uh, it very rapidly spiralled into something much bigger. Yeah. Um, because it resonated, I think, with some other people too. Um, yeah.
0: So, what when you did that first one? So, presumably, were you doing it under the cover of darkness, putting it up, or? Public? Yeah,
1: <laughs> I, that was actually Ben and Ollie who did that one because I was I was stuck in Bristol that night and um, with the kids and uh, Will was in Sweden. Um, but yeah, Ben and Ollie got it up uh, that night under cover of darkness um, in a very <laughs> sloppy, slapdash way. You know, Ollie says he has a giant picture of David Cameron wrapped around his face, yeah, soggy that's a bit with wallpaper be paste. <laughs> and was like, it, was, you know, it was really tough going. And, and these things are actually a lot bigger than you think they are. You're a long way off the ground. Um, but they finally got it up. And I think as soon as it was up there, um, they knew it was, it, it was a thing, it was an achievement. And uh, already people were driving past, giving them the thumbs up and hooting. And there was a sense that, you know, here's a bit of you know, East London fun with, with some yeah. billboards. Um, but it was only really the next morning when uh, we tweeted it out. <laughs> Interestingly, we tweeted it out, um, and obviously we had zero followers. So it's like you know, if a tree falls in the forest, whatever, like nobody's gonna see <laughs> it. If a tweet goes to zero followers, does anybody see it? No. Uh, but um, we managed to send a message to Marina Hyde. Uh, I think Ben has a connection with her somehow, and uh, she tweeted it out. Um, and from there, it kind of exploded, and yes. people saw it. And then the next night, we were like, right, we need to get more of these up. Yeah, yeah.
0: And you were called Led by Donkeys at this point, right? Yeah. that was yeah, the brand, if you like. That was, we voice. had a
1: whole, you know, back and forth conversation about what should we be called. Um, and yeah, yeah, basically, I can't remember who it was, uh, who came up with the name. I think it might be me, but uh, essentially, this was situated in a bigger debate around our country and what we've become Mm. and who owns the narrative and what symbols do they control and we felt that we'd ceded too much and lions led by donkeys is obviously this term from uh the first world war that the germans used to describe uh the brave british soldiers who were led to their deaths by these you know incompetent generals etc um and that whole symbolism uh feels like it's owned by the far right, um, and we thought, fuck it, we're going to try and reclaim it. Yeah, <laughs> You know, our leaders are donkeys, and regardless of where you are on this debate, leave or remain or whatever, we're kind of cool with all of you. Like Our beef is not with anybody of any political persuasion, it's with the incompetent people
0: at the top. Yes, which makes it quite unusual, right, especially in the current climate where everything's very one side or the other, blah, 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 Um, has that that led to some unexpected, because presumably you have your own sort of views of stuff, but has it led to some interesting conversations around that? Yeah, I think it's
1: really helped open up the space a bit, um, because we don't editorialise these things, we're just like, look, here's a quote, okay, we've dressed it up as a tweet, um, and it's from a few years ago, but... You judge it on its, you know, on its own merits. Look at it in the sunshine of today. Twenty nineteen hasn't aged very well, has it? Mm. Um, and uh, you know, we get lots of really nice messages from people who say, uh, well, one recently on Facebook, uh, some guy was saying, "My dad voted for Brexit, but he absolutely loves your stuff." Um, and I think humour and taking the piss out of these politicians has an ability to to break through a bit. Um, and there's something there's something a bit British about it. Um, and a bit cheeky uh, and just a bit playful and we're in this really depressing political moment and everything feels really grim um, and so we figure if we're having a little fun with it and other people having a little bit of fun then it can't be all that bad.
0: Yeah no I mean the, it, it feels relief, really, but what's nice is there's this real bite to it as well you know it's not throwaway at all it's a uh, it's not you know because some there's been some amazing cartoons and so on that have come out of the mess we're in, but actually there's there's some thought behind it. I mean, have you had reactions from any of the politicians that you've quoted?
1: Yeah, we had, um, we've had loads of responses. I mean, Jacob Rees-Mogg, uh, oh, awful man, but basically he, uh, when we put out his tweet, he had a particular quote um, where he said, uh, I can't remember, it was basically about saying um, we don't need to have one referendum, we could have two referendums, uh, including one after the renegotiation is complete. Essentially saying, you know, we could have a second referendum, which is obviously completely against his and a lot of these Brexiteers positions. Um, But this was a quote from, I think it was 2011, Uh, but we dressed it up as a tweet, partly because that was our style, um, but also because we were trying to make a message or say that it doesn't matter where you say this thing, it's effectively as if you banged it out on Twitter. And we're all so used to social media outrage, so why not be outraged by what he said? So his response was like, oh no, I wasn't on Twitter in 2011, this is false, whatever, whatever. But we're like, okay, you might not have been on Twitter, but you said it in the Houses of Parliament. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's funny that are coming back with all these pretty feeble defences. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, I mean, there's, yeah. There's been a lot of response to it, actually, on the political side, which is great. And we've seen politicians of all persuasions pick up these quotes and throw them back into the contemporary debate, which is which is also satisfying to see.
0: Yeah, has there been a a kind of particular moment that you felt particularly satisfying, or is it has just the whole thing been quite a good ride so Um, far?
1: There's been a lot of great, great moments. Um, I think. When we chased Nigel Farage uh, on this, he organized uh, this so-called March to Leave, which was meant to be a huge, build as the new Jarrow March from, uh, I think it started in Sunderland, coming down to London to protest at this betrayal of, of um, Leave, and uh, sorry, the betrayal of the Leave vote. Um, And we basically decided we were going to throw everything we could at exposing this complete fraud for who he was and um, showing that this wasn't a popular march, this wasn't a mass march on London, it wasn't anything of the sort. And we were terrified that the BBC was going to cover it in its weird phony balance and go, okay, here's 20 people here, here's a million people here, it's all the same. So, you know, we went down there with a couple of crowdfunded ad vans um, to accompany the march uh, showing... Nigel Farage's quotes um, from back in the day and those of leading Brexiters but also to document the march and we took a little drone and we literally every morning we'd fly the drone we would count the number of participants and we'd bang out on social media and say look the media is not telling you this but this is how many people are on this epic protest march. Um, So that was a really fun intervention but what was great is is getting Nigel Farage um, photographed and videoed as he's passing these ad vans with a soggy, bedraggled group of, you know, 40-odd marchers, knowing that his narrative had completely died and he'd been hammered on the Today programme that morning about the failure of this march and European Parliament people taking the piss out of him. It just felt like we'd really landed a blow on on, on Nigel Farage. That felt great. Yeah. But the other, uh, I mean, stop me because I'm going to babble, but um, the other moment was... um. There's lots of big ones, but uh, the march, well, what was it called? The People's Vote March, whatever, at the end of March, um, where we had this giant banner and um, another tweet from David Davis, which read, um, if a democracy can't change its mind, it ceases to be a democracy. And this was a huge 800 square meter banner um, that was really satisfying because basically <laughs> the demo happened on a Saturday and we came up with the idea on a Monday I think I was chatting to Ben. I was on the train back to Bristol. I was like, yeah, what about... Oh, yeah, We tried to hang something off a building. We are like, oh, let's, let's put a big tweet off a building, but we got people to knock on the doors of all the buildings on the route of the march. They're all owned by dodgy Russian oligarchs. Nobody would give, <laughs> nobody would give us permission. I'm like, shit, we can't hang a giant banner off anywhere. Um, and then Ben was like, what about those crowd flags you get in stadiums? So we Googled it. We're like, yeah, let's do that. So we called up, literally, Google crowd flag, first answer, called that website, what can you get us by Saturday, can do it this size, and we're like, well, can you do it, I think it was like five, six times bigger, and they're like, sure, we've got to work over overtime into the night, and we literally ordered it in half an hour, um, spent an eye-watering amount of money on this thing, and then the next next uh, chat was in the in our WhatsApp chat going, great, I think we've mapped out on Google Maps, this this is how big it needs to be to fill, fill Parliament Square, and they're like, okay, where does the photo come from? <laughs> I was like, oh shit, can we get on top of this building? Yes, but actually that's not high enough. You're not allowed to fly drones.
0: I was going to say, of course. There's a drone yes. ban
1: in, in that part of London. So, so Will, who's done a lot of helicopter photography actually, he's like, right, let's see if we can find a chopper. So again, it was like Google Helicopter London and within you know 20 minutes we spent another eye-wateringly large amount of money and I had a helicopter um, arranged to come and fly over on Saturday. So there was this moment on Saturday where we are looking up at the sky and they're like yeah that's the that's the sky news helicopter <laughs> and that's the led by donkeys <laughs> um you know uh which was which was quite satisfying particularly because ollie and i when we when we deployed this massive banner um you know we'd only just taken it out that morning we had mm. no idea we pasted it out and we're like shit i think it's too big for the space I was worried we might panic people self stampede you know there's a very, there's quite a high degree of I wouldn't say cowboy approach, but it's definitely we're moving very quickly through this campaign.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, so I was going to say that. So, in terms of characteristics to do this kind of thing, you have to be able to think on your feet and mm. and also deal with the sort of I guess the and worry that goes with all that. Like, I guess if you stop and think too much, it wouldn't work. Would that be right? I mean, have you I ever- think
1: so. It's like you know, in any creative pursuit, and we've all been involved in campaigns. We've got six months lead time mm. and five months and three weeks of that feels completely wasted and then you know last week you come up with all the genius ideas so it feels actually in this campaign it's really worked to our advantage having all these time constraints and having to just deliver things without overthinking them um it's worked for us mostly but you know definitely I think that parliament square intervention we I didn't sleep much the night before that because I was worried about you know there's a million people there there's people with buggies there's people who you know maybe on wheelchairs um if you set off some sort of crowd incident yeah. um it's really it's the wrong message
0: <laughs> yeah I mean
1: it's the wrong message slash you know you might really do some damage and um you know, we thought it was funny because we chatted the organizers of the demo and they were like we were going to tell the police we thought they were going to lay us with the police and they're like if we told the police, they'd probably say no. So we haven't told the police and haven't even told the stage organisers. So nobody knows this is happening. Um, but just tell Steve Coogan, who's going to be on the stage, just to tell people, you know, with like thirty seconds to go, what's about to happen.
0: Yeah, yeah. So he's was, the right person. To yeah, he was that the right
1: thing. person. So um, you know, in the end, it all worked out. But definitely a lot of a lot of adrenaline.
0: Okay. So in terms of things that maybe haven't worked out, I mean, when you sort of talk about your career, it seems full of um, kind of risky moments but also successful stuff that's happened I mean have there been things where you've it hasn't worked out for you or that you found tricky or uh, or just kind of things you wish you'd be able to do like stunts or something that you wish you'd be able to pull off and they haven't worked I mean what's been what have been the moments when you've had your head in your hands
1: yeah it's I've been really I've been trying to think of this um I think there are so many moments in Everything that I've ever worked on where things haven't gone according to plan, almost most things. But, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to know. You so rapidly either move on from them or just accept them as part of the process that I find I'm not really dwelling on them so much. It's usually things where you're like, okay, well, that, that particular <clears throat> creative bit of content we produced didn't absolutely Explode everywhere. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, we debate this a little bit internally, but we created a, um, a poster called uh, On the Breaking Point. It was a spoof of the Nigel Farage, um, you know, horrible, racist, anti refugee poster that he made, um, showing the, the line Syrian refugees and saying, you know, this country's at breaking point. I think you've got it in this, this month. Well, sorry, your current edition of the magazine. Um, and we did a spoof version of that, which had all the leading figures behind the Brexit calamity, yeah, um, and we, we tracked down the same van that Nigel Farage used to launch his poster, right down to the same number plate. Okay, um,
0: okay, details. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's funny. We've, we've, we've got this nerdy um, obsession with detail um, between the four of us, which often it's only the four of us who notice these things. But occasionally on the internet you get a little tweet from somebody who goes who goes, Oh, I really like that you did this. And we're all immediately like, Yes, we did it for we did it for Jill in, in Warrington. This is for you. Um, and we always, yeah, we love those tweets more than anything. The people who notice the details are definitely our favorite, favorite people. But um, yeah, that was an example of something where I think some of us thought it would would resonate a lot more.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, uh, maybe some of us like look it 's a bit nerdy, and I think this is this is actually a central challenge with this stuff um, is how do you keep it accessible? How do you keep it um, talking to a broader public sometimes um, uh, as opposed to going down you know we live in a world of increasing isolated communities of interest or hate, yeah. and um, it 's very easy to play to those audiences when the only metrics of feedback you get are likes and retweets and all of that. Um, you see it happening all over the place. People get pulled to the polls, so that's something that we're trying to avoid. But that's a very, I guess, small example of something where you know you think something's going to take off and maybe it doesn't as much as you think.
0: It's yeah, take off. yeah. I guess in your in your work, that so much of it is about recalibrating. If the, I mean, even when you're a producer, I suppose so much of of that job the nature of it is to go okay that hasn't worked what are we going to do now and and Mm. perhaps that's why it's harder to think of the more challenging moments because it's not so much that you lead up to one big thing and then that fails and you have to deal with that you're just constantly moving I mean does that suit your character do you think to do that kind of work
1: I think so yeah I'm constantly I have that nagging anxiety that I am not organized enough, you know, my filings all over the place. you know all of that kind of stuff. I think a lot of people in various different creative pursuits stress about. Um, but you know i've I've come to terms with that, and I think actually i I work best in a rapid, iterative creative environment where we're not planning too much for this golden delivery a long way down the line. Um, but we take scrappy ideas and we try and make them happen quickly and modify them and and do whatever else um that said we spend a lot of time i mean this comes back to the detail thing you know we put we put up one billboard in a neighborhood i don't know outside birmingham and the amount of work that goes into figuring out exactly how not just how it obviously goes up but then how it's photographed and filmed and um, all the different versions of that that we look at um and then how that goes out to the world in terms of timing and message and everything else, uh, we also put a lot of thought into. So it's sometimes the things that seem like just lazy yeah. slapdash cowboy things actually.
0: Yeah, it can like, seem effortless all that stuff, it? But of course, we can
1: take a lot of effort to make it feel that way. Yeah, yeah sometimes.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so, in terms of uh, where it's all going to go, I mean, do you have a sort of? Have you got a, strat- a longer-term strategy with Led by Donkeys? And, I mean, could it turn into something else as well in terms of you guys working together in other ways?
1: That's a really good question. I think we have decided for this to focus on... We've all taken a bit of a step away from our day jobs for a, um, you know unpaid leave, et cetera, for a short amount of time to, to focus on this political moment. But whether that's a couple of months... Or something longer. We just don't know, and yeah. we're, we're not. Nor does anyone else. I nor guess. does anyone else, right? <laughs> um, but interestingly, the way of working is is really refreshing for all of us. You know, we we have been doing this work for what fifteen to twenty years, all of us in different guises, and we're at that stage where you spend a lot of your time in that kind of management role and process documents and all of that crap, and yet this project has enabled us to. Not do that to roll up our sleeves and actually make things mm. happen, and that's been hugely energizing and refreshing. Um, and uh, we really want to stay connected to that, and that's a real, it's an interesting organizational challenge how you do that. Um, you know, interestingly, we've, we've not really sent a single email in this campaign, we've operated the whole thing through WhatsApp, mm. um, and you know, we've spent nearly half a million quid on. At, advertising all around the country and teams of photographers filmmakers giant banners projectionists all that kind of stuff sand sculptures um but hardly doing anything on email has felt great yeah. and we tried to formalize things a little bit to get organizational and use proper tools and immediately it felt like we were killing something um and so there's something in there for me and i hope for other people out there it's like how do you organizationally keep that the the but I wouldn't call it chaos, but um, a bit more of that you know, live rawness to your communication and idea generation that that can help this stuff happen.
0: Yes, because it I can imagine it makes it feel fresh and keep moving, but you've still got your record of everything. Cause presumably you sort of need a record of some kind but WhatsApp provides that doesn't it and yeah I mean you, can, you know because there's this sort of funny thing between well, oh, we need to trail but but you know WhatsApp's a trail isn't it so why not use that rather an email and, and keep moving but everything's been funded by crowdsourcing right exactly yeah. every penny of
1: everything that's happened in the real world has been through this crowd funder um, that we set up I mean originally we did it all anonymously you know fly by night guerrilla style and then People were like, well, why don't we want to chip in and make it happen? We're like, well, we can't really do that because we need to stay anonymous. Um, but then this crowdfunder website came to us and said, you can do it through us. And we said, but you know, we're not really doing it legally. I don't know if you've noticed, but we're putting these (laughs) things up. And they were like, oh, we didn't know that, but we love it even more. It's like, can you keep us anonymous? Because you know, we don't want to get done for criminal damage or whatever. And they were cool with that. Um and so that's when we opened up the crowdfunder, and in 24 hours we raised something like 50 grand and then it went from there and so we were, for a long time we were running it effectively anonymously the billboard owners knew who we were and the crowdfunded people knew who we were but nobody else did okay um but then we got caught up basically in an attack by you know some uh, ugly right-wing website that wanted to use us as an example of how this side of that Brexit debate is using dark money to do whatever, whatever. And we thought, you know what, the only way we can really counter this is by being fully transparent. And yeah. that's when we decided to sit down with The Guardian, or The Observer, I think it was, and just say, look, this is who we are. We've got nothing to hide. We run all through website, but there's also a fuck-off massive spreadsheet with everything we've, you know, yeah. spent, billboards, where da 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 like, you can have it all. We've got absolutely nothing to hide.
0: Yes, and now you're sort of operating legally presumably, as a result.
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly, as a result. Um, but, you know, it's, everything's really pretty much hasn't has, stopped anything, really.
0: Very right, good. Oh, thank you very much for talking to me today. It's really interesting to hear the, the full story. Thank uh, you. And you can read more about Led by Donkeys on the Creative Review website at creativereview.co.uk. Thanks, Jane. Thank you.